Good morning. Happy Father's Day. What? Well, that was so weird. So one lucky uh, father, we're going to allow you to come up here and sleep in this hammock during the sermon. <laughs> it will not sustain you. <laughs> wow, this is cool, isn't it? Did, uh, did, did we praise all of our workers already? Let's do it again. Give them a, a, a good round of applause. We had a fun, fun time this past week making this beautiful set. And uh, man, I got to tell you, Natalie and Rashid worked a miracle on this, uh, this tree right here. It looked terrible. And that's because somebody from another church <laughs> tried to put it together. And we had to come and show them the Northwest way. And they did a great job on those leaves. But uh, yeah, very proud of that. Well, are we, are we up yet? Is it up? Oh, I need to, do I need to do something? There we go. Thank you. You guys can just put that up as soon as I walk up here. That way I don't have to have an awkward moment where I'm talking to the church and I don't really know what I'm saying. Well, you're going to want to be here next week. Uh, we're going to be talking about a very important topic for many of our lives, the topic of the problem of evil. Uh, just give you a preview of next week. Uh, people tend to make one of three mistakes when attempting to respond to the tragedies of life. They either reject God's existence, they believe God must be angry at them, or they believe that God isn't in control. It's a very, very important topic next week. I hope you will all be here uh, for this particular topic and to round off our discussion on God's decree. Before we get started this morning, I, I want to begin with a word of prayer. Father, you are a heavenly Father. All earthly fathers find their ultimate fulfillment in emulating you. We try to give good gifts to our children, but nothing can compare to the good gifts that you give to your children. You never leave us nor forsake us. You never exasperate us. You're never unkind to us. In the midst of suffering and in evil, your hand is there to gently hold us. Never do we fall away from you. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. The work you began in us, you will complete. The ones who you foreknew, you predestined. The ones who you predestined, you called. The ones who you called, you justified. And today, as we sit here in this moment, in this world, we await you to glorify us. We are hopeful that you will do that. We are certain that you will do that. You are the God of promises and the God who fulfills those promises. And Lord, we are blessed to be called your children. But Lord, it is important to impress upon us this morning that there may be some here that are not your children. We are either your children or we are not your children and therefore children of the devil. Your word is very clear on this, that if we are not in Christ, we are not your children. 
to be your children requires that we have a heavenly brother, Christ Jesus as our Lord, that in Christ we are adopted to be your children. And so, Lord, on this Father's Day, we want to recognize the importance of having a relationship with the Heavenly Father. So it is my prayer, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you will impress upon every heart in here that does not have a relationship with the Heavenly Father, with you, that they might put their faith in Jesus Christ this morning and come into the loving arms of a Father who will never cast them off. We praise you, Heavenly Father. Amen. Well, we don't celebrate fathers. I don't like the concept of celebrating fathers. I think it is more important that we, in this day and age, recognize the importance of fathers. That today be a day of recognition of the importance of the role of father in the home. And so today it is my prayer that we will honor all of our fathers and remember just how important they are to the stability of God's home. We're talking about God's decree Another way to define God's decree is to speak of God's providence. Last week we looked at the concept of God's decree in his preservation of all things, that God preserves everything. This week we're going to look at his governance, how he governs the world. A very popular thought from some of our founding fathers, not all, but some of our founding fathers of the United States was that God created the universe and left it alone to run on its own accord. That he made the stuff, maybe he wound up the clock and let it run on its own so that he did not have his hand in the ongoings of the world. This is a false teaching. It is not the teaching of the Bible. The Word of God tells us that God has decreed everything from before the foundation of the world and that He governs everything to the fulfillment of His perfect purposes, which He prepared for us in advance. From before even the foundations were laid of the world. Bruce Ware says it this way, he says, God's decrees, or the providence of God, synonyms, assures us that the universe is not spinning out of control, that human history is not unfolding contrary to God's purposes, and that God ultimately sustains and regulates all that he has made to the glory of His great name and in fulfillment of His perfect will. We feel the pressure of a world changing around us. We'll hear it in expressions like, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. As if to say things are getting worse and worse and worse. It seems like When we turn on the television at night, we hear of another terrorist attack or of groups of individuals who are in charge of countries that they kill their own people. We hear of increasing racial divide and we hear of increased problems with 
murder and we uh, hear of increase, uh, an increase of misogyny, sexism. And it feels like God is not in control. But scripture teaches us that all things God is in control of. That all things, even from the greatest thing to the least thing, God is in control of. This morning we're going to talk about God's governance over everything. What do we mean when we say God's governance? Specifically, we are talking about how God governs all events for his own purposes. All events. Now, such a theory may not be obvious to the naked eye. There are going to be millions and millions and millions, perhaps billions of people in the world who will not perceive that God is in control of everything from the greatest to the least. Because this is a truth that must be revealed to us, and in fact has been revealed to us in the Holy Scriptures. That everything we see from the greatest to the least, as Scripture says that there is not even a sparrow that falls to the ground apart from your heavenly Father. That even the number of hairs on your head, God has numbered. That the lot is cast, but it's every fall, it's every decision is from the Lord. Even in evil and in suffering, we know that the Lord uses that for our good. Romans 8, 28 tells us that all things work together for good for those who are called, for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. It doesn't say that everything is good. It just says that everything works for our good. And what that requires from us is perhaps one of the greatest efforts of faith that we can give in our Christian life. To believe God at his word, even when everything around us looks like it's crumbling. To believe that almighty God is in control of everything, from the greatest to the least, even the most evil in the world, God is in control of. This is a very, very big view of God. And many Christians are unwilling to accept it. But I want to tell you that this is what God's word tells us. That God governs all events for his own purposes. God is not dead. We have tried to kill him in society by removing him from the public square. We can talk about 40 or more gender possibilities in our classrooms, but we can't speak about God. That's not good. Sorry about that. Excuse me. You see, this is why you can't deal with technology. Can everybody see now? There we go. I promise you, I'm going to pick right up where I left off. 
We think that it's okay to talk about everything except God. And we give young people and we give Americans, these young people who grow up into adults and will be the leaders of our future, we give them the impression that if there is no God, then we also have no meaning. If there's no meaning, then what is our purpose? Our purpose is to fulfill our desires. But what happens when our desires are contrary to what's right? What happens when our desires are contrary to the right way to live life? What happens when our desires are evil and wicked? This is a very, very bad thing and has cosmic consequences. But God is in control of all things. And we must stick our line or must stick our flag in the ground on this one and say, this is the hill we are going to die on, lest we lose the very meaning for our existence. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus Christ. Notice that this is not simply a declaration of Christ's real existence, of God's true existence, but also a declaration of his real governance. He, that is Christ, is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. To give up Jesus Christ is to give up God. To give up God is to give up meaning. To give up meaning is to give up purpose. To give up meaning and purpose is to lose direction. And to lose direction is to have chaos. So that the further we push God outside of our society, the more chaotic we ought to expect it to become. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is involved. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. Remember what he told his disciples when Jesus left, when he ascended, he said, and lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And that's not just geographical in the sense that the farthest reaches of the earth, but also it's historical. Jesus Christ is with his people from now, from that moment until the end of time. He will never leave us. What does the word uphold mean? It comes from a Greek word which is pharaoh. And that word pharaoh simply means to bring, to bear, or to carry. So we have to keep this in mind. It's not simply that Jesus is in heaven watching the ongoing events of the earth interjecting where he chooses. It is the idea that Jesus Christ is bringing the world to its final consummation for his glory to fulfill his purposes. Now I want you to think about how big this is. When you turn on your iPad this morning or your news this evening and you look at Yahoo and YouTube and you hear all the bad events I want you to say, God governs all things. God governs all things. He is in control. 
This has real application for you on a daily, on a daily basis. God is in control of all things. Praise God for traffic jams. I struggle with that one, I'm not going to lie. But you don't know what God might be keeping you from. Use that time to think about God. To try and solve those problems that you're creating by your decision to sin against His Word. Use that time to praise Him and appreciate His blessings. One of my professors talked about what he called divine interruptions. And he talked about how our children, when we're planning our sermons, they'll come in sometimes and interrupt us. He said, that is a divine interruption. It's God telling you, take time to be with your family. It's very easy to justify not being away from your family when you're working on on sermons because you can say you're doing the Lord's work. But the Lord's work, fathers, is for you to be caring, to just be there. Today, this morning, Juliet came in. She just walked in and she had a little phone. And all I could think about was I've got to make sure that I make sense in this sermon. And I just stopped for a second. I just picked her up. I realized this is a divine interruption from God for me to be a father on Father's Day. God is in control of all things. So it's not that he's just watching the world. It's that he's bringing it. He is carrying the world. He is taking it from one place to an ultimate end, his ultimate end, his ultimate purpose. It is not out of control. It is completely in God's control today. The world and all of its events. John Frame, who by the way, let me just say at the outset, I am indebted to for this sermon. John Frame, much of what I'm going to talk about comes from him. And I want to give him credit. He says this, he's a theologian. He says, the picture here is not of Christ As a kind of Atlas carrying the world on his shoulders. In ancient Greek mythology, Atlas was cursed after the the, the Titan War. The Olympians defeated the Titans. And he was cursed to carry the universe on his back. And it's this idea of a burden. Of a punishment. But this is not how we ought to think of Christ governing the world. God who created the world did not create the world sit back and wonder what it would become. He created it to fulfill his purposes for his glory. Frame says this is a dynamic image of him, that is Christ, carrying the world from one point to another through time. There is a destination. In other words, we're going somewhere. We must abandon this idea that history is on a cycle. This idea of karma, that everything's coming back around to get you. Praise God that salvation is by grace alone and that you don't get what you deserve. Too many of you have 
allowed Eastern meditation and Eastern philosophy hold you captive and teach you false teachings about God and about the world. Those things that, like karma and the idea of a, of a circular history, are false. It's not what God has revealed to us. God is moving somewhere. There will be a final consummation. There is a destination to this world and to history. And Christ's purpose is to bring the world process, says Frame, to that goal, to that conclusion. Ephesians 1, 9, and 10 says this. God has made known to us the mystery of his will. Think about that this morning. You say, I don't know what life's meaning is. The Bible says you, you do know. It's been revealed to you in Jesus Christ. You can take hold today, this very moment, of the meaning of life by grabbing on to Jesus Christ and never letting go. God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan. Imagine that uh, imagine history maybe if you will uh, as a line and the cross being placed on that line so that everything before the cross is moving towards it and everything going forward out from it is pointing back to it. The cross is the centerpiece of history. God has made known to us not simply the forgiveness of sins, but that he has sent his son to be a conquering king and to being, bring about his kingdom on earth. He set forth this plan in Christ for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Christ came, was raised, ascended unto the Father, and now sits on the right hand of the Father, ruling all things, governing all things for His purposes. To give you an overview of this, I drew a, a graph to kind of see what the whole Bible is about. If we have 66 books of the Bible, this is the meta-narrative of the Bible. It is the chief story of the Bible. We mistakenly will take books and, uh, of the Bible and isolate them from this meta-narrative. But we must always understand our Bible study within this one chief story of God's creation, the fall, redemption or new creation, and God's final restoration. This is the big, if you will, the big story of the Bible. And these are the four major dramas. To give you an example of this, we have sections dedicated to this, not simply in Genesis, but throughout the Bible. That God is creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John echoes this verse in the beginning of his gospel, where he says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And that word that he uses there is the word logos, which is a fully loaded word in Greek culture. And it means something. One of its 14 meanings is plan. 
that not only was the plan in the beginning, the plan was the one who began the beginning, and the plan is working the beginning to his glory. But something went wrong. Life is now looked at as a tragedy. Every civilization in the world has tried to understand the tragedy of life in various myths and stories. The tragedy that no matter how much good we do, none of us will ever escape death. The Bible gives us an answer to that. It tells us that death was not God's original intention for the creation, but that the man God created... The man and the woman whom he placed in the Garden of Eden were given a command to be our forefathers, to be our examples, to be the very ones who kept the covenant God made with them on our behalf. But they failed. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. Is that not exactly what the Bible is? We talk about our favorite characters in the scripture, but go back and look at them. Every single one of them, save for Jesus Christ, fails. Yes, David slayed his giants. But he also slayed the husbands of the women that he cheated with. His own children raped one another, killed one another. Solomon was the wisest man in the world whose seduction and sexual exploitation brought down a kingdom. The very people who God covenanted with when God brought down this beautiful law to give them to be their God, for them to be his people. While Moses was gone, they were breaking the first two commandments by making a golden calf. Every single hero of scripture fails except Jesus Christ. That is the story. Creation. Fall. The tragedy. It's what we must keep in our minds during the political season. No politician will be your Christ. We must keep this in mind in our marriages. Your spouse cannot be your Christ. You must keep this in mind as you're being parents. Your children cannot be your Christ. You must keep this in mind in every single relationship that you have. Your work, your career cannot be your Christ. Only Christ can be Lord. And every time you put your faith in any person, thing, other than Jesus Christ, you are suffering yourself to grave disappointment. And to the loss of meaning. Because when that thing or that person ultimately fails, the thing you've made to be an idol, on the day it fails, your God dies. But our God governs everything from greatest to least. And he never fails. Well then, that's not the end of the story. 
The Bible tells us not only that God created and that man fell and man caused, brought sin into the world, but that God gave us a new covenant where he would make us new creatures. This is the covenant that will make, he says, that I will make with them after those days, declared the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. It wasn't enough for God to send Moses to bring tablets, to bring it on a piece of paper and bring, or bring it on stone and bring it to the people. And now that they had the knowledge of God, the will of God for their lives, you would think that they would be able to follow it. But God knows better. And all we have in the Old Testament is evidence of a covenant that because of man's sin, they cannot keep. They fail time and time again. Even their kings fail to keep the covenant. So God says, I'll give a new covenant. A covenant, one you can keep. Here's how you keep it. I will give you my spirit. Because you can't keep it any other way. In other words, God has to do 100% of the covenant in order for us to be saved. This is the covenant I'll make with them. What is it? What do we have to do in this covenant? He says, I'll pour out my spirit. I'll pour out my law. I'll write it on their hearts. So that when God calls us, it is effectual. There's real change. People ask me all the time. They ask me questions like, does a Christian have to go to church in order to be a Christian? And I, I just, I feel like saying every time, you're so far away from the description of what God has made Christians to be. New creatures who won't even ask such a question, but who desire to be with God's people, who desire to be fed by the word, who desire to grow closer to their Lord, to their Father. To know one another, to see God's power move amongst his people, to obey him, to be in his ministry. Because they understand that God has done everything for them. One of the hardest things that I had to learn as a new pastor was that no matter how good my sermons were, how much I worked on them, I can't create in you the desire for God. I'd go home and I'd say to my wife, I don't understand. I preach the word so faithfully. I know I've studied and I'm not seeing the change in our people, the maturity. I mean, for heaven's sake, I, I, the logo that I chose for this church to give a new vision was a little tiny leaf because my hope as a naive pastor was that by good preaching, I could make you grow, but I can't. I am powerless. I'll never make you grow. I am but a sower. Some sow. Others water, but God gives growth. And scripture tells us that the fallenness of the old man, God has solved. 
by giving us a new heart. So that the word Christian looks like something. You can see it. I think it was Chief Justice Scalia who was asked, what, what is pornography? And he said, I don't know, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. I don't know whether you get how bad that is, by the way. But you ought to be able to see Christ on you. We ought to be able to see it in you. The world ought to be able to be in your presence and know you have been touched by Christ. Because you're a new creation. And if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. How are you different? But that's not the end. Because those of us who know, who have been created new, know that we are not right now as good as we can be. People who don't understand the word of God and don't understand what it means to be a Christian think that they have us by our throats when they say something like this. You're not perfect. Yeah, we know. But the difference between me and you is that you rejoice in it and I am broken by it. The very thing I will to do, said Paul, is the very thing I don't do. And the very thing I do is the very thing I don't will to do. So that I see that this is always at hand. Sin is always right there. Right now, I mean, Christian, this ought to scare you into a closer relationship with God than you've ever had. Have a healthy fear of yourself. You can still, still fall into grave sin. That ought to grip you. It's why all of these letters are there in the New Testament. To tell churches who've been a group of people who've come to know Christ... You've got to put on. You've got to be steadfast. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves with God's people. Continue to supplement your election with faith, with virtue, with knowledge, with steadfastness, with self-control, with brotherly affection, with love. Supplement your faith so that you don't fall into grave sin. Because we're not restored yet. But here's where we're going. This world that we say is in a handbasket to hell. The Bible says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Creation over here, creation. God dwells with Adam and Eve. They have fellowship. Sin severs it. God gives us new life. The tension remains. And in the future will bring about Full restoration so that once again we can dwell with God in his presence forever. Yes, if this world is going to hell, it has to first go there before we have the restoration to dwell with God. 
This is the overall narrative of the Bible. Creation, fall, new spiritual life to a new restoration. Frame says this, consummation, that is the fulfillment of history. Of everything that God is governing right now, whatever politician we have in charge, whatever the North Koreans are going to do with their missiles, whatever Russia's going to do with whatever Russians do. God is in control. He is bringing this to a consummation. That consummation is not only the goal, says Frame, that God pursues, but it's also the motivation for the Christian life. So this thing, this truth that I've given you this morning about God's governance, it's not simply a truth, a fact that should, should calm you, should put you at peace. It should also motivate you to live differently. Listen to what he says. It is a pity that the church is teaching on eschatology. That word, eschatology, simply means how the world is going to end. How is it all going to pan out? Okay, that's all it means. The last days has been concerned mostly with arguments about the order of events. In Scripture itself, the primary thrust of eschatology is ethical. In other words, what Dr. John Frame is simply saying is that we spend so much time trying to figure out when God is coming rather than preparing for his inevitable return. Listen, I, I, can't, I, I cannot believe that there are people still this day who are being duped by people who claim to know when the world is going to end. Some of you were really afraid in 2012 because the Mayan calendar ended at 2012. You know what happened? They ran out of stone. That's all that happened. You were worried about that. You were worried about Y2K. Oh, man, it's true. Some of you have bought Costco now sells. End of, I'm not even lying. I can't make this up. Costco now sells end-of-the-world packages. Listen to me. The Bible says you can hide under rocks. You're not going to get out of God's wrath. There is one way to get out of God's wrath, though. The insurance policy that you need is not from Costco. It's from Christ. If you want to be certain that when all hell breaks loose, you're okay... Be in Christ. But we worry about the end times. That's our focus so much. When is it going to happen? How is it going to happen? Uh, is Russia the, the, the Antichrist? Uh, you, know, you know this? This is a rule in America. The guy I didn't vote for is Satan or the Antichrist. So now Trump is the Antichrist. Guess what? Everybody said that about Obama too. And they said it about Bush too. Bush is too dumb to be the Antichrist. Listen to me. Stop with that crap, please. You're wasting your time, and you're making people think you lost your marbles. Here's what Christ says to do. He gives a parable of ten virgins. Five were ready for his return, and five weren't. Be ready for his return. How are you ready? By holy living. 
Should Christ come this day, would he find you living in holiness? John Frame says that God's governance of everything, that because God is, this idea that God is separated from the earth keeps us from being afraid of him. It keeps us from living in the ever fear. It's what Peter, some, some critics in Peter's day in the churches in Asia Minor, they had come in to tell Christians, God's not going to return. It's been so long. Everything has been the same. And Peter says they forget that God destroyed the earth. Everybody thought it was funny to mock Noah building a large ark until the water started to fall. And so it's funny to play around until the water starts to fall. God says, I can come like a thief in the night. That's when Christ will return. The answer to your paranoia is that Christ will return when you least expect him to. So no, your uncle doesn't know when the end of times are. He just drinks a lot of Jack Daniels. <laughs> Listen to what Frame says. I'll give you seven things that he says. These are great. He says, these things, here's what knowing that God is in control of all things and that he's bringing the universe to a final consummation. Here's what it ought to do to us. It reminds us that we live in a tension between this age and the age to come. That no, nothing in this world is your heaven. You can't find heaven on earth. You can't. Stop living like you can. You know what will happen if you get rich? You're going to want to be more rich. You know what will happen when you find that perfect person for your life? She won't be perfect. He won't be perfect. They'll gain weight. Not my wife. But my wife's husband. So we live in a tension. Stop looking for heaven on earth. It's not there. He says, since the present age is to end and the things of this world are be to dissolve, the Christian ought to have a set of priorities radically different from those of the world. Jesus Christ said that much. He said, you spend all your time trying to get mansions out on Star Island, but don't you know when you die, you can't take them with you? So what when you get the new car, when you get the big house? Don't you know that fire will still consume it? Listen, you know those beautiful pyramids in Egypt? You know what they're for? To put dead bones in. Stop living in this world and expecting to have the priorities of this world fulfill you. He goes on, he says, since we eagerly await the return of Jesus, we'll anticipate it even now by purifying ourselves as he is pure. It says, listen, we're going to be pure. This is where you're going for, Christian. Purity, start now. He goes on, he says, since the resurrection of Christ has decisively established that new age, we're confident that our labors for his kingdom will not be in vain, but will inevitably prevail. Every believer who I have buried within this last year, and it's been a lot, and we sat there and watched them put them down into the ground. I believe with my heart of hearts that that body will raise from that casket and through that dirt. I believe it. Why? Because Christ has been raised from the dead. And we're in Christ. 
And if Christ raised, you'll raise too. This body's going to corrupt. We spend so much time trying to make our bodies beautiful. And I'm not saying don't be healthy. You should. But understand that that body's going to fail you. It's the new body that never fails you. Paul calls this flesh corruptible and the next flesh incorruptible. He goes on, he says, we look to the return of Christ as our deliverance from tribulation and thus a source of hope. He says, we know that Christ is coming, but not knowing the day or the hour, we must always be ready to meet him. And then he says, we must also be motivated by the rewards that God will give his people also serve as a major motivation. Do you understand that there are going to be rewards in heaven? Scripture tells us as much. Christ promises as much before he begins his famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 13. That when your Father in heaven sees what you do, he will reward you. You ought to think about heavenly reward. You say, oh, no, I'm not going to. Listen to me, stop. Don't be holier than Christ. Christ says you're going to be rewarded. That's your motivation. Be motivated by reward. Don't you want your heavenly father to look at what you did on this earth and say, well done, good and faithful servant? I want God to say, thank you for taking your Friday to be here to do bags for VBS. I do. Yeah. You say, are you patting yourself on the back right now? A little bit. But, yeah. You know what I wanted to do on Friday? I wanted to take my day off. I wanted to stay home. But I was motivated by this understanding that I've been called to something greater. Listen, maybe you need a little bit more motivation. This is one of them. There's many of them. It's not simply that Christ will return at the moment you least expect it, which he will. But it is also that you are storing up for yourself treasures in heaven. Don't be Scrooge McDuck trying to store up a big old mountain of coinage, which, by the way, you could not swim in. If you dove off of and went into that coinage, you would break every bone in your body. I realize that that reference is only for millennials, and millennials are the ones who aren't in the church, so you guys don't get that reference. There was a duck, okay, and he used to swim in his coins. That's, it's not possible physically. Well, what do we need? We need new motivation. If you have your Bibles, turning them to Colossians 3. Turning them to Colossians 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 17. Don't you love to hear that sound of Bibles turning? It is the sound of unity because we have one Lord. Here's the point I want to make that I believe this passage makes. It's this. As true followers of Christ live by a new mission and a new motivation. I believe that's the point of this passage. Paul says to the church at Colossae, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The church where Paul is writing this letter to 
has had false teachers come in and try then tell them what it looks like to be a holy person. In fact, it's a little different than what you might expect. The people who are there in this church are telling Christians that the way to look like a Christian is to deny yourself earthly pleasures. This is called asceticism. And they make a big deal about celebrations and about what we call the quote-unquote Christian life. And one of the major mistakes and one of the major flaws of denominationalism is assuming that the other people who are outside of our denomination aren't Christian because they don't worship God the way we do. Now, there are right ways to worship God and wrong ways to worship God. But the right way to worship God is unity in truth. It is not uniformity. You understand? You understand what I said? Listen to me. It is unity in truth, not uniformity. You don't all have to wear khakis and plaids. Okay, that's the classic white guy outfit, the khakis and plaids. It's like given to us as a rite of passage. As a white baby, put on khakis and a plaid shirt. And give him no ability to dance. Okay, that's what it... But you don't have to all be that way. Some churches, they raise their hands. Some churches, they put their hands in their pockets. And Paul had a group of people coming in saying, you got to all look like this. you got to all deny yourself earthly pleasures. You can't, you can't enjoy Jesus. Man, we're going to enjoy Jesus this week, and we want our kids to enjoy Jesus this week. That's why we did all this. We want our kids to love Christ and to love his church. Some people were saying to me, you're going to preach with that in the background? Yeah, I am. Because I'm not staying after church to do it. So he says to this group, listen, here's, here's true holy living, okay? You want to know what we all got to be united on? It's this, listen. If then you've been raised with Christ, which this is now. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Christ said that. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these other things are going to be added unto you. College students. Seek Christ. Don't seek a career. Seek Christ. Don't seek to conform. Seek Christ. Don't seek moments of pleasure. Seek Christ. Seek Him. Seek truth. Don't seek to be popular. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above. Notice, I want you to listen. So we've got a, a new mission to seek holiness. Our new motivation is to set our minds on things above. We don't think like we used to, Christian. We think a new way. Notice the verbs here that we're going to look at in just a moment. But notice what he's telling you to do right now. Seek and set. Seek your mind on the things that are above. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden in Christ with God. 
When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What he's saying here is that this world is passing away. If you are a heavenly being raised in Christ, live like it. How do we do it? So he's given us a new motivation. He's given us a new spirit to look at things differently. A new mission other than to get all we can, can all we get, and sit on our cans. He gives us a new mindset. That new mission is to serve him in all things and to serve others. Look at verses 5. I want you to pay attention to these verbs. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. That phrase, put to death, means kill it. Kill it. Men, you know when those snakes come into the house and they shouldn't be there? Don't play around with it. Kill it or it will kill you you and your family. You got to kill it. We have these frogs called bufo frogs in our yard. They're not supposed to be here. They are are a, a foreign invasive species. And if your dog bites it, the family dog bites that bufo frog, it will die. So I had to do the thing that I didn't want to do. I don't like killing animals. But I got a choice. The family dog that my kids love and who's part of our family or these frogs that aren't even supposed to be here. So confession, I went and bought a BB gun. (laughs) You cannot kick them out of your fence. Listen, I know there's some animal rights people in here. Well, listen, I, I believe in animal rights. I believe my dog has a greater right to life than those frogs. You can't kick them out of your fence. They get right back in. And it's only after you've seen your dog come in vomiting at the mouth. He can't breathe because he's been poisoned by these frogs. That you realize you got to go out and be a man. Listen to me. you got to be a man with sin in your life. Women, I'm talking to you too. you gotta, you got to buck up. you got to put it to death. The pornography... If you can't control it, get rid of your phone. You don't have to have that smartphone. If you can't control it, get rid of your computer. You don't have to have that computer. Oh, I need it for work. So you want to seek things that are below or things that are above. You can't control it, get rid of it. Put it to death. Kill it. Don't flirt with it. That relationship that you see that could be potentially going somewhere bad with your secretary, the woman who's not your wife, do what, don't kill her. Sorry, I make that very clear. That's not what I'm saying. Y'all are going to see me on YouTube tonight. And you're going to read, you're going to just say, the Lord is in control. And I'm going to be saying, Susan, bail me out. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying kill the relationship in any way you have to. You know how how Joseph did it? He ran. Make your wife your secretary. 
figure it out. Care more about righteousness than about getting things done for this world. It's going to all be burnt up. Kill it. Put it to death. Therefore, what is earthly in you? Well, what is it? Well, it's interesting that the first word he says here, sexual immorality. That's the first thing. Because it's the thing we struggle with. Sexual immorality. That is any kind of sex in thought or in act that is not with the person who is your spouse. And that spouse being the opposite sex. Impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. These things that you're pursuing, God is going to come and destroy. And it might destroy you in the process. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked. You used to live like that. You used to go after sexual immorality. Hopefully, Christian, you're not still doing that. You're not still living in sin. But now you must put them all away. That word there, put away, means like you're taking your clothes off. It means to take off your clothes and put on new ones. And what Paul has in mind here are dirty clothes. You all wouldn't wear stinky, dirty clothes, would you? He says, put them off. Put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. Slander. How many of us are guilty of that when we get on our social media blog post and social media and we start tearing people down? That's integrity killing. It's character killing. What about obscene talk from your mouth? People say the Bible doesn't say anything about bad language. It sure does. It says that the people of God talk differently. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, put on clean clothes, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in, in all. Listen, several weeks ago I said we are looking for the voice that unites. Where is the voice that will unite the races? We've got, we've got Black Lives Matter. We've got hashtag Me Too. We've got all of, we got white privilege. We've got black privilege. We've got every kind of privilege there is. We've got cultural appropriation and microaggression. We've got all of these nonsense terms. Listen to me. You want to solve it? You want to solve it? You want to be a solution or you want to be part of the problem? You know what the solution is? Live like Christ. Sure is. Live like Christ. Oh God, that we would understand that we can solve this problem in our churches. Live like Christ. Understand that black people are saved the same way white people are saved. And rich people are saved the same way poor people are saved. And women are saved like men are saved. God shows no partiality. Jews 
were not special because they were Jews. They were simply special because God chose them. That's it. No race is better than another in God's mind. You want to solve it? Listen to what he says. Don't lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self, the church that he's writing to is a bunch of non-Jews. They weren't the people of the promise. He says here, do not lie to one another. Put off the old self with its practice. Put on the new self. What does this new self look like? There isn't Greek or Jew. There isn't circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Christ wants to kill racism by killing our races. And by making himself the ultimate. So that white and black pale in comparison to Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says. Christ is all. Not some, not some things. Christ is all. Put on then. Listen to this. Put on. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. He's saying human beings created in Christ learn to live with one another. But that is possible only in the church. Only where the new creation has happened. We thought we had racism in this country fixed. We thought with women's suffrage we had misogyny fixed. We thought with feminism we had fixed something. I don't know, but it's caused more problems than it's fixed. But here in Christ, here's where it can happen. Because Christ has robbed us of any, any claim to his righteousness on ourselves. Because God has done 100% for us. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Then the word let here, the word let means let it come to live. Get out of the way, stop getting in its way, and let it come to live. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It would be helpful if we would put down our comic books every once in a while, our blogs, and pick up our Bibles so that the word of Christ might dwell in us richly. The word there, richly, it has the idea of pouring out of you so that when you speak, you sound like you've been with Christ. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms together and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything to the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God, to the Father, through him. All this for what reason? Because God governs all things. He will one day bring this world to its final ending for his glory. And those who are called by the name of his son are to live like people who are going to live in the kingdom forever. Christians, 
we have to have a new motivation and a new mission in light of the God who governs all things. Let's pray. Father, you govern all things. You are going to come again. You have not forgotten this world. You have put the men and women in this church this morning to hear this message. Many of us, Lord God, have chosen sides in this new world of binary living, this political world and polarization. And you, Lord Jesus, have made yourself the solution, calling us to die to ourselves today and to love you and in loving you that we might love and serve others. We are to live today like you are coming at any moment. Holy Spirit, impress upon the hearts this morning that we are to prepare for your imminent return. Amen.